A mysterious stowaway sneaks aboard a vessel traveling to find oil on a faraway island. It's time to return in a more groovy way to Skull Island in King Kong 1976. Actually, call it Skull Island on here. I can't even remember. I don't know, honestly. Uh, actually, I don't think they do call it Skull Island. Mm. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Huh? Do you know where this is? <laughs> Five seconds they... in, and our corrections <laughs> are already flowing. <laughs> well, do you know where the uh, film was shot? Like the the awesome outdoor scenes, Alex. Um. Any guesses? Arizona. <laughs> 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 such a good guess such a good guess it, it was a different state and there's only one state it could be hawaii hawaii yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it was all like i think i thought those outdoor shots were beautiful like they were really fantastic so, yeah they were yeah uh but welcome back to the monster vs. men podcast the bargain basement of monster podcasting airwaves this week uh as we said already as we try to stay alive we're discussing King Kong, 1976. I'm Eric. And I'm Alex. And welcome in. As always, I'm excited to talk about this one. Me too. Uh, this I, is... I actually think there's a lot to, to dive into. And I don't, I don't know if we've done King Kong justice so far, but I hope we're going to do <laughs> King Kong justice today, to be honest. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, my tether to this film has always been the universal theme park ride of this that they used right. to have. Right. And so I was actually excited to see this to see where that took place. It doesn't mm-hmm. because you're in a you're in a trolley car in it like yeah. like, like a, that's elevated, and uh, uh-huh. that never happens. And I was very disappointed not to see that happen. <laughs> yeah, not exactly. Yeah, we have other scenes similar, yeah. but no trolley car specifically. But hey, before we jump in, we've got a patron AMA to answer, Alex. Uh, this time we 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 have three AMAs left. And I'm going to give you a specific question um, today. This is from Derek oh, B, okay. who is a relatively new patron, a relatively new Bargain Basement Club member. Uh, he says, if you guys could come up with your own super weapon in a giant monster movie, what would you name it and what would it look like? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Man, <clears throat> The one that most resembles what I would have made, probably, off the top of my head, mm-hmm. I'll come up with one, but it's the Black Hole Gun <laughs> from oh, Mega right. Gears. That yeah. is the, like, the, one of the most ridiculous ones that I feel like I could have made that one. Like That's the, the dumb <laughs> one I would have made. Um, uh, what about you, Eric? Do you have, one, do you have prepared remarks for us? I don't, uh, but as I'm thinking about it here... There's really only one super weapon that I need in a giant monster movie. Oh, Alex. no. What? And it is a space woman named Kalara. <laughs> <laughs> Do you just fire this thing out of guns? It's just Kalara? Yeah, I mean, she's a weapon in and of herself, man. That's that's all I need. You give me some Kalara in my giant monster movie, and I'll take down any monster. Oh, man. Oh, what would... what? What would be good? You know, what I, I mean, would I be like, good? I like the the rocket trap in uh, the original Gamera a lot. 
Uh, yeah. Like, is that a super weapon? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It gets rid of the super monster. <laughs> you've got <laughs> you've got the oxygen destroyer, which is the iconic. Right. Um, you know, King Kong doesn't have a super weapon necessarily. Hmm. Oh, what about something like? Okay, I got it. Okay. All right. So, how about <laughs> how about just such a trampoline? <laughs> a trampoline that launches Godzilla into space. You just okay. get him to walk over. You know, King Kong, he walks and he falls through the ground in this movie, right? Mm-hmm, and he mm-hmm. gets trapped by chloroform. Uh-huh. And then we get that Terminator 2 moment where he puts his hand up and you hear... I'll help us out here. But I this way, he, maybe, falls, he falls in through, though, and he hits the okay. trampoline. And his mask yeah. causes him launch into space, and he dies. That's that's going to be quite the launch. So I'm gonna I'm <laughs> gonna do a, a th- call an audible here, Alex, and and I'm gonna say a slingshot, right? Ooh. A slingshot, yeah. um, but it kind of takes your idea of a trampoline and makes it more offensive, right? Um, <laughs> so we're gonna slingshot Godzilla or King Kong into space, um, and what would we name it? What would we name this slingshot? <laughs> the G sling, it- <laughs> <laughs> the G strap. Yeah, <laughs> the G strap. That's that's one thing to name it. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> oh man, uh, uh, I regret this. I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you should be regretting it. Uh, if we, I mean, if yeah. Where would we put this slingshot? Well, you'd, you'd have to lure Godzilla to a food source. So he's like mm-hmm. right there where you've already got stretched out, ready to go. So you'd, you'd put it right by a nuclear reactor where you know he's going to go eat. So you just mm-hmm. get one that's like really, it may be leaking a little fuel to get to entice him. And then when he gets there, just let it, let a it fly. Radiation, a little radiation leak. Yeah. <laughs> let that G-string fling, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I think without further ado, we need to get into this film. You you are definitely channeling the sexual energy of 1976 King Kong, Alex. Let's just say that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Without further ado, here we go. 1976 King Kong, directed by John Gillerman, certainly would be considered a remake of the 1933 original and not a sequel or a spinoff. We have an oil tycoon and not a movie producer. We have a Dwan instead of an Ant, and we have suits and animatronics uh, and instead of stop motion. But before we get into what we like and don't like about this film, I'm really curious about a bigger question, and I want to use this fo- film to explore it a bit. What do you think, Alex, makes a respect- respectful and quality remake of a film? And do you think King Kong 1976 successfully remakes the original, or should it be evaluated in its own right. Ooh. So uh, that's really tough because the idea of a res- respectful remake initially leads me down a path of like having similar tones and story beats. But then I think of films like the remade psycho and the, the movie let the right one in. I believe it's mm-hmm. remake was let me in. And uh, they kind of 
the psycho doesn't throw a wrench in it, but let the right one in kind of does because it adds and fleshes out story beats and manages to be, I think, actually a better product than the original. Mm-hmm. But this one, I, I'm not sure. Like a successful remake should maybe be like that movie. Let uh, the let the right one in and let me in remake because what is what is a successful remake? Is it something that kind of plays with it a little bit? Maybe plays on your expectations a little bit while delivering that tone that you've sought out, probably if you had a tether to the property originally? Or mm-hmm. is it something that completely stands on the on its own? You know, I think the film, this film in particular, should be judged on its own right. But that mm-hmm. being said, if you're part of a franchise, you are inevitably going to be compared to the others of the franchise. So should we? Maybe, like, 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 maybe we should judge it on its own right. But will we inevitably compare it to the others that came before? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I think this is an interesting question because it seems like Hollywood today knows only how to make sequels and remakes or reboots, um, and some are successful while others are definitely duds. And there's also yeah. the question of you know a text to screen adaptation which might be another conversation, but I think it's similar because in both a remake and an adaptation, you have source material. And this film, of course, you have the source material being 1933 King Kong. Um, Now, what this film seems to do is try to borrow some of the best moments of the 1933 film and update the rest to fit the 70s. So you can help me out here. some, Some borrowed moments that I can just think of off the top of my head. You have Dwan's kidnapping of course, uh-huh. which is pretty spot on to what yep. happened in 1933. You've got, you know, the spotting of the white man uh, by the natives. <laughs> You've got the slaughter um, of part of the expedition while Jack hides underneath yeah, there and the Kong tree. is reaching for him. The tree scene, right? Yeah. Um, You've got the giant gates and the giant doors. There, there are moments like this that are almost beat for beat like the 1933 yeah. original. I'm yeah. sure there are The others. snake. Yeah, the snake fight. The snake yeah, yeah, the snake to protect Dwan, right? Right. Um, that is pretty beat by beat uh, remake of the original, and, and you know some of those are exact pools, but then other moments update it to make it distinctly 1970s. Um, so you've got the oil tycoon, um, and not a movie produ- producer. Uh, you also have overt sexuality, the World Trade Centers, helicopters. And really so many more updates. Uh, there's a point where uh, Fred Wilson asked if Jack and Dwan want to get married because it would make a better story, just like what happens in the 1933 King Kong. And yeah. then Fred Wilson says, you're just probably an old-fashioned image, right? And that seems to be the mission statement of this film, to provide a modern image of Kong mm. that transcends the original. But I don't know if it does that for me. Does it for you, Alex? You know, a little bit of yes and a little bit of no. Uh, on one hand, the effects of Kong playing with Dwan are really great. Uh, his hands, in particular, are just like, they, they look phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And even the finale of the film, I would argue, is actually better than the original King Kong. Because it's just got so much more horrible and gruesome moments that really make you feel bad for King Kong. 
Like they really pull those moments, and those moments wouldn't be complete really without what it built up to. But the grisly nature of it—it's just—it's all just so sad and much slower than the original too. And then on the other hand, though, something that's maybe not quite the modern update is Jessica Lange's acting, because it is anything but transcendent. It feels like she studied her acting from uh, the actress that played Anne in the original Kong <laughs> instead of, uh, you know, something, anything remotely modern. And she just kind of mimicked that character in a way. There are often times that, well, I I just don't know what's going on with her. Like, is Kong's breath orgasmic? Is it a soothing breeze? <laughs> Does it turn you into a hippie? Like, I don't know what's happening with her during several moments of this film. And I, it's just, I can't really explain it. It's just kind of (laughs) surreal. There is some surreal, there's a surreal nature to her character, I think. Um, I think there's some interesting things that actually happen with her character. And I, I would argue that her acting starts off a little bit all over the place, but becomes a little bit more grounded as the film progresses, as her character actually becomes more grounded as the film progresses. Um, So, you know, my my whole point in just bringing up these reboots and remakes is just to say that I actually don't think this film serves as a strong remake. Uh, And that might be my hot take here is I don't think it's a strong remake in neither how it borrows from its source material nor how it departs from and updates its source material. Um, Now, this is more common with book-to-film adaptations, but I know many fans, whenever you're asked them, like, what do you want from an adaptation? Many are just going to say, I just want the movie to be faithful to the book, right? right? And I think what they mean by that is, I want them to include that detail that I liked or the other detail that I liked. Uh, And I really just want them to stick to the script. Yeah. And I actually don't think that makes a good adaptation. Mm. What I'm looking for in an adaptation or a remake is the tonal quality of the film and also a creative stamp behind the scenes from the artist um, behind the camera uh, that really makes a dent and brings something new almost right to the series or to the franchise. Now, I do think this film has a bit of a stamp, which I'll talk about here in in a few minutes, but I don't think this film captures the tonal shock and awe of the original. And part of the problem seems to be that mix-mashed approach where we're going to borrow some scenes, almost exactly, and then try to update the themes for the times. Um, the The scenes they choose to copy are fine, but the problem is that the 1933 film still looks better. And and that's a problem, yeah. right? Uh, is whenever the 1933 looks just as good or not better, then we have an issue. <laughs> and then I would argue that updating the themes just doesn't need to happen because the themes of the original were so universal. And so it feels redundant. And yet it seems these filmmakers are set on that update. And by focusing so much on that, they actually, what they do, instead of making these universal themes, they pin down the film to a specific time and place the 1970s, mid-1970s, and and that makes it feel much smaller in scope. Huh, interesting. So I totally agree with you about the 1933 film still looking better, like, without a doubt. That Kong is much more ferocious and physical and 
really believable <laughs> than even mm-hmm. this one. Um, even though the 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 uh, why am I blanking? That the the way they did the face in this film is phenomenal. It yeah, really it looks good. The face is great. It's almost yeah. too emotive because I found myself mm-hmm. dying laughing at some of the. <laughs> It's some of the expressions on it. It's just, it's pretty good. Well, you mentioned Alex that um, you thought the ending of this film was stronger than the original. Yes. I would say it's different, right? Because I think this film goes out of its way to paint Kong as a more sympathetic character, right? Um, and so, whenever you combine that sympathy with the gruesome nature of Kong's death, then you really get. Uh, something that's going to be moving there at the end. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and it, it also is attributed to the rush from the press that we see yeah. when he's on the ground and them crawling on top of his body to take pictures. Oh, yeah. It it really, I that's what, it. those moments are really what sells it to me and the slow heartbeat going down and all that stuff. It really does. But in terms of the story beats, mm-hmm. uh, per se, I, I felt like, for me, they're actually relatively organic. I didn't. I don't really feel like they were trapped at a point in time, like like you do. But I enjoyed the different spin that made it feel just different enough to justify its existence. What I didn't like though was how they handled some of the characters, especially once Kong is captured and he's on the ship. Like, does Dwan actually care about the ape? Does she? T- toss aside her moral compass in the interest of... I said compass. Uh, Does she toss aside her moral compass in the interest of fame? It doesn't really seem clear to me, which I'm not entirely sure that I dislike about Mm -hmm. her character because it does give her layers. It actually does, yeah. It could be a problem because she's really Mm -hmm. conflicted on a moral or selfish nature about this Mm -hmm. whole issue. Then we get... To be fair, so is Jack. Right, uh, you know her love interest, which I didn't buy that romance. Just like I didn't buy the romance in the nineteen thirty three one, I didn't buy the romance here either, <laughs> um, because she was pretty romantic yeah. with every guy on that ship, and then all of a sudden they have a romantic connection that sticks. I, I, I just wasn't quite sold on that. But yeah. Jack, Jack has this back and forth moral compass as well, which I find interesting, um, and an interesting kind of contrast to Dewan as well. But yeah. Continue. Sorry, Alex. You know, no, I mean, I agree. I, I think he stood on his line or crossed it a little bit less than she did. He did seem to have an idea of what he wanted. But sometimes I felt like I couldn't, I didn't know if it was the acting or the character, and I just couldn't tell which one I couldn't read. But mm-hmm. the uh, <clears throat> one of the bigger problems that I really had with the film was when they're being chased through the city by Kong, which is, I really like that New York sequence a lot. Well, most of it, <laughs> yeah. but there's this moment that I could not wrap my head around when it happened. And it's when Dwan stops Jack while they're running away from King Kong, who just caught them in a train by smelling them. He just yeah. caught them without a line of sight or anything. And they just ran away and now they're going to stop and get drinks. And she convinces him that this is a good idea. And she uh, acts like no she's sense. already drunk. <laughs> to be quite and then frank. They get the, and then they get the motorcycle. 
Oh my <laughs> because god! Because the guy decides he's gonna just drop it there and yes. run away. Yep, yep, and he just <laughs> drops it there, runs away. I mean, but they they go and sit down at a bar. Eric, what is happening oh, in this moment of the film? Oh, let's wind there's, down. There's 15 minutes there, actually. As we said, the the emotional impact of the these closing moments is great, but there are 15 minutes there where it makes no sense. Yes. The plot makes zero sense. It just um, completely dissolves. <laughs> and the effects <laughs> dissolve right there as well, I would I would argue, um, with some just terrible, terrible, like, standalone shots of Kong, right? Oh, that yeah. Just look awful. Yeah, I, 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 so like, I like it while he's around the buildings initially, especially when he's walking up on the train. Mm-hmm. I think it looks really great during that moment. And his, that whole sequence of him tearing apart the train, I really yeah. like. But oh, it's yeah. after that moment, things get pretty rough. I mean, that going to the bar scene might be quite literally one of the dumbest plot points in scenes I've ever seen. It makes zero sense. Yeah. Then, <laughs> then, you know, another di- another quick gripe, the death mm-hmm. scene of sweet old Fred Wilson. Oh, yeah. He pretty much runs underneath Kong's foot and just gets stomped on. <laughs> oh. What, you know, Alex. What yeah, is that I, moment? Me- to me, I thought that would have been a great moment if he had done the exact same thing and Kong had stepped over him, right? Yeah. And like he had to like live with his decision. You know, like uh. it would it would just just have been kind of like this ironic comedy um where he has to like live with this decision that he's made, kind of like Denim does, yeah, right. Yeah, uh, it would have been much better if he 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 gets right there, and it looks like he's about to be stomped on in this <laughs> completely idiotic way, and then Kong just steps right over him. Yeah, that would have been a better like into his his character arc, in my opinion. I agree, I agree. And instead, we get him literally running towards Kong, yeah. falling oh and being stepped on. <laughs> It was just like, hey, oh, we go, I forgot about this character. Let's go film this scene real quick, and we're going to have him get stomped on. Yeah. Oh, but, man. <laughs> there's just so many seriously questionable decisions made, especially in the last 15 minutes of this film. Mm-hmm. And I, it, it's really hard for me to overlook, especially with some other pacing issues mm. that we've had throughout the film. Like, I wish I had had a stopwatch to time how much time we look at Dwan in Kong's hand. It probably would have been half the film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Alex, uh, I, I, I've talked a bit negatively so far, but I think it's time for me to talk positively uh, about a little bit of this film. And maybe it's time for one of my rants. It's been a while since I've, I've had a rant. It's um, true. It has been. Some might call it incoherent ramblings, but maybe it's time for one of those. And I, I do think this film has a creative stamp, uh, whether it intended to do this or not. Um, and I don't think the creative stamp is the overt sexualization of Dwan and Kong, <laughs> which yeah. again, it, that feels so much like a product of its time. Like that's, that's 1970 cinema right there. Okay. Um, yeah. and I, I also don't think it's the animatronics, which again, I know 1976, it looked great then. But today, it's just you see some of those flaws, and they feel so obvious. Ooh, see, I really like the animatronics. But I think and, and most of the animatronics are good. I, I, I would say, and I think the creative stamp, though, 
is the depiction of trauma and the impacts of trauma. Um, so we see this in three main ways, I think. First, you have in the colonizing of the island. And then you've got Duan's story arc, and then you've got Kong's story arc. First, with, with the colonization, you've got the colonialistic awareness of the white man and their effects on the natives of this island. And my most memorable line of the film, which will appear in our awards, it helps deal with this. Yeah. But essentially, the tone in which the film depicts Fred and his taking over of the native's home to make it into a trap, it really highlights the length he's willing to go to make a buck. And the oil tycoon idea, it feels relevant and works. And the man himself, Fred, though he feels more like a caricature than a person, he certainly helps sell this mission. And I do think the film raises those questions about what what are the ethics here of, of what these people are doing. And I think it, it, it asks those in an interesting way. Mm. The other arc we have is Dwan's arc, um, especially in the final third. She's an extremely extroverted and open person from the opening <laughs> moments, which feel extremely over the top to me, right? Yeah. Um, she feels, to me, she feels she's someone that might be susceptible to abuse, which is not her fault. I want to be clear on that. But it's the fault of the depravity of the people around her. Yeah. Um, and she almost seems used to that. And, yes. and so when Fred, when Fred wants to use her to make a buck, it's hard for her to say no. Um, he even gaslights her, you know, like in a sense, and then is made to, she's made to relive the traumatic experience that she just experienced on the island, putting herself in harm's way again to reenact a glorified version of what she had already been through, mm. right? And she ultimately gets what she wants, right? She gets that fame. I think you mentioned yeah. that, Alex. She ultimately gets that fame at the end of the film. But mm-hmm. to what to what end, right? Um, and is this is this entire sequence going to leave her traumatized as well? Mm. And then you have Kong's arc, and she seems genuinely she comes to care about Kong, um, but I don't think it's because there's a super strong connection. But I think it's because she sees Kong as someone who's not going to take advantage of her, um, a being that sees her for her. And then the film's ending. It shows her again about to be taken advantage of and exploited by yeah. journalists, and she is helpless to do anything about it. And Jack, seeing her like succumb in a sense to the fame, decides to stay out of it, which, yeah. in my opinion, makes him kind of a coward and a pretty bad guy. <laughs> uh, he just watches and is like, I'm done with this. When you can tell she is not comfortable with what's happening. And then lastly, uh, the Kong arc. And I think the way that, that Kong is handled is really interesting, but I think he gives up at multiple times. And I think that's important. Hmm. He gives up after encountering obstacle after obstacle. He just resigns himself. At multiple points, it feels like he could push forward. He could be more violent, but he doesn't. Yeah. And it, it gives him this internal, once again, trauma, I think, that the audience can sympathize with. You can sympathize with the character that has been through so much that at some point you just have to give in and have to give up. Uh, and I think that's what happens to Kong here. So I think there's some interesting uh, ties throughout uh, with, with trauma and, and specifically characterization uh, of Kong and Duan that I do want to give this film credit for. And I found really interesting. Mm, I really like those breakdowns. 
Um, was, was that an incoherent rant again, Alex? No, it wasn't an incoherent. <laughs> I, I really like that. I mean, you do see, you really do feel Kong give up when he sees the choppers coming. Mm-hmm. You really mm-hmm. do. And the only reason he even takes one of them out is because it gets too close. And he, you know, I mean, he's just, <laughs> he's in yeah. pain. So he just lashes yeah. out, but he really doesn't even gun for him. No. And it just parallels the helplessness he feels when he's in the tanker. Right? Yes. Um, he feels helpless at that moment. And so he lets Duan go yeah. because there's nothing else he can do. Whereas earlier on in the film, when he's more free, he is quick to get her back, you know, um, when she runs away. So yeah. I, I think it's really interesting. Some of those parallels. Yeah. I, and I don't know what to, I don't know what I feel about the ending. I'm not saying that it's yeah. bad. I'm just saying, I don't know what I feel about Duan just crying out to Jack over and over and over. And then him like trying to get to her, trying to get to her. And then she just gets surrounded and he's just like, and he just, <sighs> he like forces his way through the crowd. And then he gets within proximity of her and then he stops. And I, and I and can't it, put together why he stops. And I'm not yeah. saying there's not a reason. I think I think the reason, I think the reason is because of what he told her earlier when he said, you want a life of fame and excitement. Um, and so like, this is his just, he doesn't want that. And, and so this is his justification. Like oh, she's getting what she's wanted. She's getting this fame and excitement. Uh, I'm going to let her have it and I'm going to stay out of this. Hmm. Interesting. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's very cool, but, <laughs> well, and I, but I don't know. Like I, I can't, I couldn't even tell if her acting at the very end was sincere or not. Like it felt mm. sincere at first, but then, the camera surround her and it, she just keeps going on. And I'm like, is this fake? Is she putting wow. on a show now? And I, mm. I could, I don't know. Uh, interesting. Interesting. No, I, I, I like that ambiguity. And I think that the ending actually, I think raises the film for me a little bit. <laughs> yeah, like me those, too. <laughs> those, those, those final moments. So I like that, but Hey, on MVM plus today, we have a special MVM plus Alex, we are responding to the fact that Godzilla versus Kong just got moved up two months, and we're, we're doing a reaction to the trailer um, that is being released. And I'm, I'm super excited for MVM Plus. I'm excited for the trailer. I'm going to try to keep myself to watch it just, just a couple of times for our show here, uh, and then I'm not going to watch it again until the movie comes out. That's, that's what I'm going to tell myself, at least. Yeah, uh, it, it's not a bad idea. I mean, they're only going to, they'll probably only put out one trailer for it since it's out so soon, which is nice. So uh, I think they're going to play their cards close to their chest and leave yeah. us some surprises for the film. So I hope so. I hope so. I think that'll be great. Well, hey, Alex, we've moved, uh, we had a longer discussion than usual. So let's go ahead and jump right in to our awards. Uh, and let's start with the coolest character award. Who'd you have, Alex? Mine was Roy Bakley because he is just absolutely hilarious when he, <laughs> especially whenever he is, uh, <laughs> when he's drinking with Fred Wilson and he kind of leads him on a little bit by telling him how valuable that oil is going to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then he spoils it for him. That's going to be like uh, uh tens of thousands of years <laughs> before it's ready. I just right. I really liked his character. I actually wish we got a little more of him. 
Yeah. Uh, no, there are some side characters that I liked because honestly, I don't, I don't consider any of our three main characters too cool. So no. <laughs> I chose uh, Bon, I think his name is, uh, played by Julius Harris. He's the survivor uh, of the tree attack, yes. right? Yeah. Yeah, because he just makes that amazing leap from the tree to the cliff. Yeah, that was um, awesome. I was, wor- back <laughs> I was worried he wasn't going to make it. I was like, is he going to like slip and fall off this thing? I was worried too. And then he goes back and, you know, Fred Wilson shouts to him. And what does he do? He's like, where's the others? And he just does the, you know, slip throat motion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. But then he's right there at it trying to help them build uh, the trap moments later. So he's a trooper <laughs> for sure. Yeah. You're right, though. That moment where he walks out of the trees and he just does that motion. It's like, <laughs> oh, my. Oh. Yeah. What a cool guy! It's, an, it's oh. intense, and it's it's another moment of of kind of humor, which we haven't talked about. It's not humorous that he does that, but what's humorous is once again uh, Fred Wilson being an idiot and being contradicted a moment later. Right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> that's that's the funny part. Um. <laughs> yes, it's pretty, it, it, and the the film does have a, a bit of humor to it. Yeah, I actually think the humor's fine. I do, um, I do too. I do too. It's a bit, it's a bit campy, and, I, and I'm okay with that though. Um, I, I, I like, I like that aspect of it because, and I think that's okay. Like if, like if you're updating it to maybe a more of a modern audience sensitivity, um, and you're dealing with such an outrageous topic, right? Like Kong 1976, it does feel a little bit outrageous. I'm okay with that comedy um, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it was good. Um, what about your can't believe that? No, most memorable line award. Most memorable line award. Um, I, I mentioned it. I hinted at it earlier, uh, and it comes from Jack, and it's talking about how. Well, actually, Fred had just said, you know, we freed the natives from this terror that had been terrorizing them. Right? He's painting himself. He's repainting himself as the good guy, right? He's rewriting the narrative. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jack says, no, Kong was the terror and mystery of their lives and their magic. Uh, A year from now, that will be an island full of burned out drunks. We took Kong, we kidnapped their God. Mm -hmm. Now, I disagree with the aspect that in a year from now, you know, they're all going to be burnt out drunks. That's just not true, right? Like, they'll they'll find Mm -hmm. something else um, to... Grasp Maybe. onto, right? Maybe, uh, but but uh, I do like the idea of Kong being the terror and mystery of their lives, and they do have this sort of uh, symbiotic relationship with Kong. Um, now, sacrificing human sacrifice is is never a good thing. I would never advocate for that. Okay, um, Eric, I got you. Wait. But <laughs> but I like this. When we took Kong, we kidnapped their god. Um, it, it is an interesting idea to grasp with and it goes back to the idea that this film does ask those questions about colonialization mm-hmm. yeah what, uh, what about yours alex yeah mine is actually a line from also from jack and it's when they're outside the walls they haven't seen they hadn't seen the people yet they hadn't seen kong yet and they're trying to kind of guess what's beyond the walls and jack makes a quick characterization of them he says i'll characterize them scared people yeah. And I really like I just he, Jack has a lot of really great lines in this film actually. Yeah. Yeah. He's 
once again, he is that moral compass that makes some interesting moral decisions, I think. Um, yeah. Mm. He, he's an interesting character in his own right <laughs> that we could talk about. I did not know Jeff Bridges was in this film. I really didn't. Um, but it's weird I, to see young Jeff Bridges. Job. I haven't seen a lot of the young Jeff Bridges, and it was yeah. weird. <laughs> yeah, it was a little strange. You know, I was trying to figure out where I had seen Jessica Lange before. Is that how you pronounce her last name? Lang. And, and then, I think it's just Lang. Lang? Lang. I might be then, wrong. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. Jessica Lang. And then I am uh, scrolling through Twitter, and, you know, I see an American Horror Story-like yep. ad. I was like, oh, that's her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, right? I, I was actually uh, reading about her, because, you know, it says introducing in yeah, the opening credits uh, here, indicating it's her first film. I didn't look into it to see if it was, but it looks like it was, because after this film... She got panned so hard as like one of the worst parts of the film that she hmm. disappeared for three years and just grinded out her acting chops and came back better than ever. It's interesting because I would argue that she doesn't give a bad performance. Oh. I would argue that the script and the character for her just grows into itself as the film progresses. Um, and she at, at first she doesn't quite the character doesn't feel fully fleshed out. She doesn't have anything to work with. And and so you don't know what she's doing, but as the film progresses, she makes more sense in my opinion. Well, um, yeah, but apparently this director was known for screaming at his uh, actors until they did it perfectly. So huh. did he let her slide or was she so bad he couldn't redeem it? Or did she do exactly what he told her to? Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, exactly. I think, again, there's some ambiguity there for sure. What Maybe this leads us into our Can't Believe the Acting Award. Uh, yeah, mine's Dwan. <laughs> <laughs> because I just could not believe any of the acting. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it's, it's this really weird threshold that I, I just can't quite pin down. Because her character almost feels like whatever happened on the previous ship may have Didn't been happen. what <laughs> you know, like happen? she brushes it aside so quickly. Yeah. She brushes it aside so quickly. And it, it, it almost feels like it was something. And we see this maybe it, it seems like it was maybe something sexual in nature because the person on the ship had told her that she was going to be a star. Right. Yeah. Kind right. of indicating that she might be willing to do anything to be stardom, which is why I, there's might be a through line through this film to the very last moment that she's willing to do anything to be a star because we see the re- I feel like the real Don or Dwan come out when she cares about Kong. And then it's almost like a show whenever it's not about Kong. So maybe she just gave the performance of a lifetime, Alex. Um, <laughs> maybe maybe this is the and, greatest performance well uh, still she, that, that acting with the blowing from Kong unacceptable <laughs> <laughs> well no I, honestly though I, I, see what, I see what you're saying I see what you're saying and again I think it's I don't think it's a well written character at points um, oh no I mean she stops I to think, get drinks well that there's that too but I also just think it almost it, it, there's the caricature aspect of her character, which is like this ditzy, aloof blonde, right? Yes. Um, that as the film progresses, that's not 
who she turns out to be necessarily. Right. But it's hard to erase how they painted her in the opening moments um, that we get of her. But she still has that moment. Again, the drinking scene. When she goes up to Jack and she asks about the drink, it feels like she's that character from the very beginning again. Yeah, I know. But yeah, and I just, I don't, again, I don't like that writing necessarily. Like it feels like they're playing into this i don't know it's it she's very she's obviously very sexual throughout the entire film like it's yeah it, so many innuendos too it's just it gets ridiculous right it does. um and I'm, I'm not against sexuality in a film but i think it hurts her character and it paints her as someone that's that's ultimately shallow and i don't like that um because I think she has more depth there. And I think we see that in her interactions with Kong. Um, it's, it's maybe, maybe she's a complex character as I'm thinking about it, Alex. (laughs) (laughs) See, you're, you're on that same like precipice as me where it's like, is it really bad or is it just good? (laughs) Yeah. And that's, that's, that's interesting. It really is interesting. But, um, I can't believe that acting award to, to move in a, a slightly different direction <laughs> is Charles Grodin as Fred Wilson. Uh, and there's the, there's this moment. Um, I think it's very interesting and it's not the moment where he runs under Kong's foot, Alex. Right. It's the moment <laughs> where Dewan feel falls into the tanker, uh, it Kong's cage in the oh. tanker. Right. Um, right. he, they all run over there and then Fred Wilson runs over there with everybody, but he can't look in. And it's really interesting. Like he doesn't want to, he like looks to the side. He can't directly look at what's taking place. It's like, he doesn't want to look at actually like what he's caused and what he's doing. That's again, why I I say a better ending for, for Fred Wilson would have been to watch Kong step over him and him have to watch the terror unfold around him that would be a better ending for Fred Wilson as a character um, because he doesn't want to look at what he's actually done um, and, and the pain that he's caused. Uh, so I think it's interesting. Now, of course we get the over the top moments as well, like where he's getting a massage on, on the beach or, you know, where he says something definitively. And then two seconds later uh, is contradicted by the events unfolding on screen. Uh-huh. <laughs> It's funny. Right? It's that. ironic. And I like those moments. So I, and I think he does a good job. He, he's interesting though, because he's not Carl Denham where, where Carl Denham, even in the original has a moral gray area. Fred yes. Wilson is the antagonist, right? Hands down. He is. And I think the reason they do that is because Kong is not the antagonist necessarily here. Right. Um, Whereas in, in 33, mm. Kong is the antagonist. And so your human characters can be a little bit more in between. Here, you need that that human antagonist. And we get that in Fred Wilson. Yeah, yeah. I almost wish he was part of the finale in a way. Like you yeah. were kind of mentioning. Yep. He, they get stepped over. Mm. Missed opportunity. What about your uh, standout effect award? Um, so my standout effect uh, is actually the wall. Um, and it's just the entire construction of that thing. That that's one of the most impressive like sets. Um, and I was reading a little bit about it in, I got Ray Morton's book, King Kong book in, in from the library. <laughs> I was reading a little bit about this, this wall 
And this thing was uh, $800,000. Holy moly. And it, caught, and it took two months to build on the MGM studio lot, right? Wow. Two months to build that thing from workers, like, <laughs> like all the special effects workers working from uh, like eight until six for two months straight, six days a week, uh, $800,000 to make that wall. And it wow. does look great. It does. It really <laughs> it looks does. super realistic. Uh, so I was impressed by it. And I was also just impressed by the work that went into it. Yeah, that thing was awesome. And I love that moment where they you see them pouring the oil onto the 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 beam, the the lock. Mm-hmm. And I was mm-hmm. like, what are they doing? And then they started pulling it. I was like, oh, that's pretty awesome. They're lubricating yeah. it, of course. Yeah, it's very <laughs> smart. Yeah. I really like that. Um my standout effect award involves the wall. And okay. that is when we see Kong's animatronic hand go and crush the wall from above. Yeah. I really like that moment. And that was a really cool use of the wall they actually built and the hand. Hmm. True. Yeah. No, that's good. Um, what about your Oh, That's a Good Shot award? Um, mine is going to be the shot of Kong walking into, it looks like a smoky crater after shaking the crew off of the tree. He goes mm-hmm. into it. It's like a night, it's nighttime. It's where he sees the snake and he's standing in the center of it with uh, holding Dwan. And it's just, it reminds me a bit of my favorite shot from the original King Kong where he goes into the cave. It's smoky. He actually runs into the snake there as well. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it. And yeah. I just, I really like that shot of him standing there, which I didn't like most shots of Kong standing to be perfectly frank. This is the yeah. only time where it broke the believability for me. Right. What about uh, you? No, I'm with you. That was, that was good. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, you know, when I was thinking about my Oh, That's a Good Shot award, I also thought about the 1933 film. And when we watched that, Alex, we talked about, I think we mentioned that Spielberg must have been influenced by 1933's mm. Kong in Jurassic Park. And my Oh, That's a Good Shot award seems like something that might have influenced Jurassic Park as well. And it's just the shots before we actually see Kong. It's the shots of the trees shaking, right? Um building that anticipation before Kong is revealed. We see the same thing in Jurassic Park, and I just think it's a great effect um, to build that tension up until that reveal. Um, There was a runner-up, and it's the close-up of Kong's eyes in the tanker. Um, They just look so good. And and once again, it's adding to that sympathy. I almost wondered at a point, I wondered at a point, if they switched and the, for, for one of those close-ups, they actually used like an actual primate of some sort <laughs> um, to get I'm that shot. I, I really didn't know. Away by the eyes on this thing, they look yeah. so good. <laughs> yeah, they really do. They really do. Does that bring us then to our rating and our ranking, Alex? It sure does. You know, I, I'm, I've been thinking about this and. Honestly, I didn't have a super enjoyable experience watching the film <laughs> in itself, <laughs> but I've enjoyed I've enjoyed talking about it and thinking yeah. about it more since then, which is kind of elevating it a bit for me. Um, so there's there is a lot there's a lot that I like about this adaptation of King Kong. You know, the beautiful landscape shot in Hawaii they really capture that sense of awe 
uh, and are some of my favorite moments from the first half of the film. And I know some might scoff at the humor of this film. Uh, some might call it too campy, but I, I think it's palatable and actually helps the overall tone of the film. And I do think that three-fourths of the effects are impressive. Um, there are some sizing issues. Uh, yeah, there, there are, are some, some. There are some sizing issues. That's true. And there are some issues. You know, when we get that Kong like statue thing in the f- final act, it's it looks really bad. But <laughs> <laughs> it does look bad. No, no you mean his was corpse? Yes. Yeah, it looks no, real no, bad. Not the corpse. Oh. Not the corpse. Whenever he's like in the cage. Uh, oh. And and he's like big. Uh, <laughs> it looks so unrealistic it's so bad um but this movie had a large sense of scale and i appreciate that think about all the extras and all the different scenes um now where it gets bogged down in my opinion is in its remake choices as i've mentioned uh in ray morton's king kong the history of an icon he says the writer of this film lorenzo simple jr knew that many of the characters and much of the storytelling from the original were, were daily were simply simplistic and primitive when viewed from a modern perspective and that he was going to have to develop new characters and story elements that would be believable and relevant in the 1970s. Now, I understand that sentiment, but the problem for me becomes in how rooted this film feels in the 70s. So in a sense, I'm looking back on this film from my modern perspective and saying that this film is a bit primitive. Um, so with that said, but also with uh, kind of thinking about this film a bit more as we've talked through it, I think I'm going to give it a three out of five, Alex. All right. I think there is a lot to like about the film. Uh, Twitter seems to like this movie pretty... I mean, everyone that interacted with me seems to really like it, except for... <laughs> one person um a lot of comments about how it really holds up and that type of thing but and i'm inclined to agree in certain ways mostly the effects of king kong are just in my opinion phenomenal the emotion elicited by the goofy ape like like even <laughs> even if it's a little too much at times mm-hmm. it is it's impressive and then his hands are really great looking it's just when he stands up that i really have a problem with kong and there's also these phenomenal New York sequences. The standout is him taking the train and ripping the lid off of it like a tin can. Yeah. And the other standout moment of the film is the death of King Kong, which, again, I find actually much more resonant than any of the other films so far. I actually really feel feel for him. That being said, this film falls into the trap of being too long for its own good. Like It's just long for the sake of it. And Dwan's acting goes from, eh, all right, to what the hell is happening? And then some of the beats, like I've said, in New York just make no logical sense whatsoever. And they dissolve a lot of the emotion and excitement from the finale. Mm. So for me, it, it's I'm right there with you. I, I got a three out of five on this as well. I will probably put it above King Kong Escapes, which is my other three out of five. Uh, just because yeah. I've had a much more fun time talking about this one than I did to King Kong Escapes. <laughs> yeah, no, I, w- I would agree. I would agree. All right. So next week, Alex, we have King Kong Lives. This is uh, a little bit hard to find. And it's actually, I guess it's a sequel to mm. King Kong 76. Yes. 
Uh, I haven't seen anything from this except for something that we're going to have a good laugh about probably next episode. Oh, nice. So, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully it gives us a little bit to talk about like this one did. But uh, did you come up with a rhyme for next week? Uh, yeah. Uh, I actually did this time. Um, All right. What you got? With more lives than a cat, King Kong lives is back like that. Will he return to settle a spat? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I've got uh, King Kong Lives is our first real Kong sequel. Will it fall below 76 or be its equal? Son of Kong is a real Kong sequel. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I, changed, I, 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 I changed my rhyme. King Kong Lives is our second Kong sequel. <laughs> there you go. An easy modification. Will it fall below 76 or be its equal? There we go. <laughs> and. I must have blocked Son of Kong out of my memory. Oh, you shouldn't have. It's a it's a gem. <laughs> Come join us on NVM Plus. NVM Plus. King King Kong trailer. King Kong versus Godzilla. No wait, Godzilla versus King Kong. I'll never get that right. No wait, Godzilla versus Kong trailer reactions. <laughs> Godzilla versus Kong. <laughs> yes. Uh, as always, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at NVM underscore Pod. We're on Letterbox. Alex Cornett and Eric Neely. You can email us nvmpod at gmail.com or leave us feedback at nvmpod.com. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash nvmpod and receive weekly bonus off-the-cuff episodes. And if you feel so led, leave us a review on iTunes. Those reviews really help. Monsters vs. Minute is produced by Alex Cornett. Executive producers are Faye Basier and Michael Herndon. Special thanks to our wives, comma, Rock Band for PlayStation 3, Senor Honda, Drew the Collector, our Instagram connector, and you, the listener for listening. Until next week. Try, try to stay, stay alive. alive. That was very in sync. Yeah. Bye bye bye. Get it? In sync. I just don't know what's going on with her. Like, is Kong's breath orgasmic? Is it a soothing breeze? Does it turn you into a hippie? <laughs>